0: Hey, podcast addicts, strangers, and friends, Tony Gapistone here. It is just me, so don't be sad. I know my wife, Wendy, gets a lot of kudos and well deserved because I've been listening as I'm editing these podcasts and I'm thinking she is pretty great. She is probably the best thing about this podcast. But she set out this one because, you know, when you have three kids and you're juggling life and you have special guests coming in, it just doesn't work to have both parents and three crazy kids in the same room. So I have a special guest today, two special guests on the podcast for you. But before I do that, let me do a shout out to Lydia Isnanto. She was our first review and full disclosure, Lydia is a friend and co-collaborator in media with me, but I'm so grateful for her review on iTunes because that helps us get the word out. She she said, great podcast about art and people's stories and God and just being real. Thumbs up. Therapeutic, especially for artists. So thank you, Lydia. And as an incentive for our listeners, which we're still looking for a great name, my stepmom gave a suggestion. So I'll, and I'll tell you that later in the podcast. But If you listeners would please do a rating, seven of you have given us a five star on iTunes. Thank you for that. But if you're on iTunes and you write a review, I'll read it on the podcast if you'd like. And I will also give you, and uh, this is a special connection here with Lydia, uh, a link to our film called Selfie. Lydia edited and produced and shot this film that I wrote and directed, Story by Israel Soler. If you will write us a review on iTunes, And uh, it's positive. (laughs) I will send you a link. Even if it's critical, you could do a critical one. Let's be real. I will send you the link to Selfie. It's a 15-minute short film that is not out and available to the public. But I would gladly do that for you. Okay, so before we get into episode six, which is really good about racial justice in America right now, I want to thank and shout out our sponsor for this episode, which is Exclusive Image. Exclusive Image. Is a design service that will give you logos and websites and everything you need if you want to make apparel or banners or posters or get some sleek new business cards. They will even do trucker hats and stickers like they did for me. These are my friends, you guys, Jeff and F10 Murphy. This sounds so official to have sponsors, doesn't it? But I love partnering with people who are doing great work, and these two and their team. Of graphic designers are really doing awesome stuff they are i mean they not only have an awesome personal life they're an awesome foster family but they're super hard workers and they will make things happen for you like your websites or business cards but they're also designing Full-on you know, wedding invitations. I'm going to tell you about on our next podcast a really cool thing that they did for a couple that was getting married. But go to ExclusiveImage.net, and if you let them know you're connected to me, you can use BraveMaker, which is the nonprofit that I started. ExclusiveImage.net, you can let them know the Holy Cannoli podcast, but just tell them you know me, and they'll give you 10% off any design or promotional or website project you want to do. Okay, so ExclusiveImage.net Thank you, Jeff and F10 Murphy, for designing creative things and for making this podcast sound even more official than it is. (laughs) You're listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast.
1: It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life
0: is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapestone. All right, hey, we are in episode number six of Holy Cannoli. Thanks to you guys for tuning in. I have some special guests here in the Holy Cannoli podcast studio, also known as my living room. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to talk today about something that's really relevant, and I thought it was interesting because we're in July 2018, and People are talking about what's going on with our uh, immigration systems, the broken systems, what's going on with those who are seeking asylum, the zero tolerance policy that has been instituted by our administration. And I was thinking uh, these podcasts will be archived and somebody might listen to them five, 10, 20 years from now, who knows? But at this season of life, this is what's really on the hearts and minds of people in USA right now. And to the 100 listeners who are joining on Holy Cannoli so far in these past six weeks, thank you for listening. And I wanted to give you a gift in this conversation. My hope is for hearts to be open, for our minds to be open. I'm here trying to learn stuff as well. So I invited my friends, Anna and Rafael Avendano, who we, uh, I think it's been a year now of being in relationship. I forget when, Raf, mm-hmm. when you and I met, but these two are powerhouses. So I'm going to let them... Mm-hmm. Uh, take over the podcast a little bit today and share their story, share their experiences. And so, Raf, uh, let me put the mic on you because let's start with how you boldly sat down at a table that I was at drinking coffee about a year ago and just said, hey, I think I know you. I think we're a part of the same church. And you just started talking. And from there, we um, built up some history. So, Let's go back to uh, Main Street Cafe when you jumped over to my table.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, that was an interesting time for me because I was in grad school and I was being shown some interesting literature, Tony, um, specifically a book by Paulo Freire called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And it was really making me question my walk. It was really making me press forward into what I thought Jesus was and who he really is. Because where I was going to the church at the time, there wasn't much talk around oppression. And I was like, no, this is not okay." I was pressed. I was conflicted. And I met with pastors and I'm like, yo, this needs to change. Mm -hmm. We got to do more for the people. And when I mean the people, the people who Jesus served mostly 90 percent of the time, which were the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And I remember you talking um, on a Sunday when we were first checking out churches. I'm like, yo, I like the way he's, you know, he's vibing. He's he's speaking (laughs) about the, the truth. What I know to be true, um, which is the spirit of God and and moving through people and relationship. And I saw you drinking coffee. I'm like, oh, I drink coffee too. (laughs) And I was working on my paper. I'm like, I gotta go talk to this pastor because, (laughs) you know, changing churches is like changing a family, you know, Mm. in some certain ways. And it's uh, when you're so invested, like we were um, in the church that we were attending, um, it was a big deal. And uh, I was like, why is this such a big deal? Like, you know, but it was a reason for that. And it's because we were so connected. Uh, We're that type of people where we, when we get connected, you know, we really try to share that light with others because there's a lot of things that um, the church can do better. And that's, that's why I wanted to go talk to you. I wanted to start that relationship. And I mean, let let alone that, that, that led to us doing life together through ministry and talking about, you know, the racial justice collective that Anna was a part of as well, which was something we were trying to really find at our past church. And it was a... it was powerful. I mean, Anna, you could talk a little bit about that too.
0: Just to give a little more context, too, uh, when Raf uh, initiated that conversation with me, it was the right time for me too, because I was feeling stirred. I had been with the same church at that point for about 19 years, and I was feeling as if the Spirit of God was rising in me some desires to talk more, to be educated more, to do something. I was feeling, you know, a primarily white. Um, church family in uh, a mo- majority Latino community, just mm-hmm. something wasn't right, you know, and you guys helped launch what we called the Racial Justice Collective, and we started out with these little small gatherings of people talking, and at one point it was kind of like just a safe place to vent even mm-hmm. to for people of color to share their journeys and their plights being in a, uh, a church that maybe didn't always feel welcoming to them. So you guys really helped spur that on. But yeah, Anna, what was your perspective on that whole story?
1: Um, For me, I think, uh, yeah, moving churches and just trying different places out. And uh, when Rafael told me, like, um, I actually had heard of, of, of tony before because um, i also like media and so i've heard uh, of, of him as a creative of you as a creative uh person and for, through creative crew mm. and so um just in different outlets aside from the church so i was like okay he's a real person <laughs> you know he's not,
0: like, not just a social media meme <laughs> or something
1: <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like aside from like Going to church. You know, you just see people at church, but then you uh, don't see them during the week. Yeah. And you were a pastor, too, at that time. So, you know, this is someone who's, um, you know, doing the church thing and doing the creative crew thing and really about the community. So that's why when Raphael told me, like, oh, well, you know, he's he wants us to go to this um, racial justice group i was like oh what like racial justice in the church like she was like what i was like okay let's go see what this is about and um yeah just going and meeting the people there and they were all just like genuine and like you mentioned like sometimes it was just like a space for us to vent and just talk about what was happening i think at that time it was when we saw a lot of like you know the killings of young black men and so we just sat there and just talked about just what was happening and uh, finding the connection with, with um, being a uh, spiritual people.
0: So. Can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, and we don't need to name names because I want to keep people uh, protected, <laughs> but you were moving from one church to the other. It sounds like you also felt a little dissatisfied with the lack of uh, attention that was put on the oppressed and the marginalized. And uh, I would just say you know, one of the people I'm on Facebook with messaged me And I was trying to remember the context. She said that where she was living, not in California, she Googled churches that were taking a stand and and siding with the immigrants and siding with families who are separated from their children. And she said she couldn't find any churches that were making any statements. And she said it really discouraged her that there was so much silence from churches around this issue mm-hmm. and so that's why I thought you know she spurred me on through a Facebook message I said that we got to talk about this in the podcast because you guys have a passion you have taught me a lot you've encouraged me you guys are very vocal in the Redwood City community advocating and protesting and educating really for for civil rights and so I thought tell me what you've experienced what's your journey been like I'll sit back and I'll chime in a little bit but let's hear how you've been experiencing God in this sacred, strange journey, because it's hard, the work that you're doing, it's hard. There's a lot of closed hearts and a lot Mm -hmm. of closed minds, and it can really be discouraging. It can almost be devastating to one's faith when you see other people of faith being silent or even being adversarial against helping refugees, helping families stay together. Um, So just let's talk about that. Yeah, I thought that
2: was really well stated, Tony. You know, what moves me is really like the word of God. Let's start there where I'm going to quote Obadiah 1.12. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down the fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. When I read this word, it speaks to me in the way of a refugee because I am a refugee. And for somebody to say, oh, you know, this doesn't apply to you. I'm like, excuse me, did you read the word? You know, so I go back into really questioning folks who really are within that Western Christianity mindset, fixed mindset, because there is those growth mindset, Christians, the ones I kick it with. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's the fixated mindset folks, the ones that really try to kick it with, but they get uncomfortable and they don't like that. They don't like meeting somebody who's a person of color, who's educated, who presses them to think differently, and presses them to read their word a little bit more. Um, And I think that that needs to happen more because without dialogue, there is no change. And I think that there's a time now where there's people of color that are educated, that are ready to talk about the systems of oppression, because it took a while for us to get this knowledge, because at the end of the day, we were marginalized for years. We were oppressed for years. So getting to a certain era of this like norm is just like, whoa, it's shocking, you know, but no, it's 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 in, it's in the Lord's word to really have us speak um, for those who, who who we are, and I think that um, that's what stirs me so much. And reading, um, I'm gonna quote a book. Mm-hmm. It really challenged my faith, and it pressed me to, to be like, yo, there's people like me. It's good, <laughs> like I'm normal, and I'm a believer. I love it, you know? And it's a book by Gary A. Hogan. He is um, the President and CEO of International Justice Mission, a human rights organization based in Washington. And prior to f- uh, founding IGM, he worked in civil rights division of U.S. Department of Justice and was director of United Nations Genocide Investigations in Rwanda. Gary Hogan is a graduate of Harvard, received a JD from University of Chicago, Juris doctorate. He is also the author of Good News. And he said something so good, and I'm going to share it. It talks about ignorance in the church. Ignorance first. Many of us simply are not aware of the massive urgent need for rescue in the world. We have been isolated so long in our suburban Christian cul-de-sac that we tend to imagine most people live like us. Mm-hmm. We know life stro- we we know life has struggles, but we figure must most go ahead their days like we do like what we do. Keeping our kids healthy and safe, advancing in our jobs, tidying our uh, tidying up our yard, enjoying the holidays, hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. Indeed, Many Western Christians simply have no idea what an utter desperate disaster is taking place 24 hours a day around our world. They have no vivid picture of what life is like for hundreds of millions of people in the world who live in a crushing spiritual darkness, humiliation, and despair. This dude is woke.
0: <laughs>
2: he's a believer, and he's woke. He understands, he's empathetic, and he's, he's, he's living the life of Jesus. That is what humbles me to be like, yo, there's people like me out there and I wanna share that life with them. I wanna share, you know, that's why I went up to Tony. I'm like, hey Tony, let's let's have coffee, because I, I I I I trust what you're saying. And I wanna build that relationship. And let alone here, we're two years in the making, we're friends and we we, you know, we're family. I could say we're family. I can talk to them about things and it's comfortable and and that's what, you know. That's what it's about, you know, and also talking about the uncomfortable things. And I think that that's um, that's what presses me to be radical, positively, <laughs> how it should be used mm-hmm. for the word of God and mm. to be Jesus. Like radical is a world that stems from love. So those of those you know, it, Google it. Um, <laughs> it's really much, you know, what Jesus was about. And uh, that's that's um, that's my role model. That's my hero. Um, I know it sounds cliche, but Jesus stirs me in everything that I do.
0: You use the word woke before people start to uh, correct your grammar. <laughs> what do you mean by being <laughs> woke? What's that mean?
2: <laughs> critically conscious. Mm. He is critically conscious and empathetic on folks that have been marginalized or oppressed. Mm.
0: That's a good definition. I love that.
1: <laughs> I think for me, um, when I think about like my experiences, um, as an advocate and as a Latina, um, also as a scholar, I, um, uh, one thing I really like have learned is just to use my humbleness and open-mindedness to really listen to what people's experiences are about, their stories. I'm a storyteller. I love listening to stories. And I think that as, um, as I mentioned, um, historian, um, or as I like to call myself, her historian, mm. uh, cause I really love to emphasize the her, mm. uh, we don't, here a lot of women um you know even in the bible there's very very little women um so we really need to emphasize the the feminist perspective and the women perspective mm-hmm. and different things yeah. yeah so as a historian i think for me mm-hmm. um i love um learning from stories and if we think about the bible again it's all stories, it's all mm-hmm. you know testimonials and first mm-hmm. accounts, so that's how we learn. that's how we learn about the past mm-hmm. and so I think for for today, um, when we learn about the current issues that are happening and if we talk about immigration, we have to l- listen, and I think that's something that that I have as a skill, but it comes with my spirituality and also how I was raised, you know, our parents and my grandma raising me to just really be humble and be open minded and be willing to listen and I think that's something Rafael and I really do in our community when we just um, have our, our hearts and our, and our ears just really open and ready to hear what people are going through. And then another thing is just be ready with action of like, okay, like what can we do about this? And um, I know that's something Rafael really is great at and I think he's in a position to do that as a community leader and uh, running a youth center Uh, people have already identified that space as like, I can go and share my story. They're not going to judge me. They're just going to listen to me and they're going to provide us with resources and toolkits. So I think that's, that's what I think about.
0: Hey, I'm going to break in here real quick and tell you about our second sponsor. You met them last week on the podcast, on the podcast, but they are Cumbria gear. And check out their little tagline, I love it. Metro Mountain apparel for any lifestyle. Metro Mountain? How cool is that? I wanna be Metro Mountain. So, and I am Metro Mountain because I have Cumbria hats. My favorite, as I said last week, is the Harlem. But check out the logo snapback. It's this camouflage green hat with their cool logo on it. They have a visor. Who's a visor person out there? If you are a golfer, or you're on a boat on a regular basis, maybe you want to get the, the Max, the visor. But I want to highlight the classic Kumbhre logo hoodie. It's a zippy. I love zippy hoodies, you guys. 20% off anything you buy on cumbregear.com. That's K-U-M-B-R-E-G-E-A-R.com, Gear.com. Another great couple, Lamont and Janine White, are my friends, and they have this awesome company located in park city utah they told me in the fall they're going to be launching a whole new thing it's top secret but maybe we'll get to know about it first who knows but go check it out cumbregear.com hoodies t-shirts blankets hats yoga gear for the ladies they have some really cool tank tops and long sleeve t-shirts use holy cannoli at checkout for 20 percent off all right let's get back to rafael and anna so let's back up and make sure you can give us the context, Raf and Anna. You both uh, are significant leaders in the Latino community in, in Redwood City, you have a passion for justice, you both have mad degrees, <laughs> and you both have mad platforms. So, uh, y- because you didn't start there, which I love it, you didn't brag on yourself, uh, <laughs> I have to do that for you. But those of you, those who want to know more about why are these two credible to, to speak on this? Why, mm-hmm. uh, I posted the the link that uh, Anna posted, uh, on Facebook of your speech mm-hmm. at the Keep Families Together rally on June 30th in Redwood City. And so uh, holy cannoli uh, listeners, please take a watch of this it's five minutes, six minutes video, and you'll see Roth's passion and just how much he loves uh, the, the community and the people that he's been put into lead. But share a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis and That really goes back to both of your Mm -hmm. stories. You talked about your grandma, you talked about your Mm -hmm. El Salvadorian roots, and you are an immigrant. And give our listeners a little bit of history. And by the way, Mm -hmm. I never heard that her her story and thing before. That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. Uh, We need to talk about that. That's good. But yeah, give give us some some background into who you are and then how that really informed what you guys do. Because that's a big question we talk about, because who are you Mm -hmm. and why are you here? That's really big.
2: I think Anna's got to go first.
0: That was powerful, okay. her story.
2: Women yeah. first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I have, um, I guess maybe, usually I start with my educational background, but I have a bachelor's in ethnic studies um, and a minor in sociology. Then I went off to get my master's in Mexican-American studies, and right now I'm doing my doctorate in education, but with an emphasis in human rights um, education. Um and for me, that really grounds me, you know, just knowing that background of I really care about, first of all, I started off with that degree because I wanted to know more about my own identity mm-hmm. and my own history and my culture as a uh, first generation U.S. born mm-hmm. um, Mexican American. And so learning about my history, learning about, you know, Chicanismo and Chicano history and really owning that. And then that led me to pursuing my master's. And in the future, I want to be a professor. i a professor. Well, I've, I'm already—I've already started teaching, <laughs> so it's really exciting. Um, but yeah, I think for me, as I mentioned, history is really important. So mm-hmm. that's how I—I I, that's my foundation. Like, if I want to be able to help anyone doing anything advocacy I love to see like what's the history show tells us and how can I learn from that to like move forward and in my day-to-day work um, aside from being a student um, a doctoral student I work at the local community college at Kenyatta College working with students helping them transfer to um, San Francisco State Um, I do more of the admin side but it keeps me um, pretty balanced to be able to be a student and help students and whenever I get the chance I go to the youth center where my husband works and I'm sure he'll tell you all about it.
2: Yeah so I'm truly blessed to have a partner who is um, amazing and uh yeah she's she's actually when people say who's your greatest mentor friend <laughs> it's my wife um uh-huh. she's the one that sharpens my iron you know and um
0: my... That, that sounded very intimate right there. But that's a, oh, it's got to be. That's a very scriptural
2: reference. <laughs> I went scriptural with that. You like that one, Tony? <laughs> she shoves my eye. That was good. <laughs> Take notes, y'all. Nah, no, just <laughs> Oh, man. That was funny. Uh, all right, so, yeah. Um, my journey in the Bay Area started at about the age of four. Um, I was actually a refugee migrant uh, kiddo from El Salvador. Um, I came at the age of four because um, there was a a really, really horrible genocide that happened in my country. And it's hard to talk about because millions of folks lost their lives, and uh, including some of my family members. And for... Um, for my mom as well, it was really difficult because she left me when I was six months. So I really didn't get, get to really see or be with my mom until I was four um, when I came to the United States, Mission District, San Francisco. Um, then, you know, I I was you know I, I learned English, <laughs> went, to, went to kindergarten in South San Francisco and uh, all middle school, high school in South City. Um, so I'm very much a Bay kid. Um, I mean, I am salvadoreño. But I'm very much, you know, I'm American more than anything because that's. I mean, I was raised on hip hop. Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised on, on, you know, in in an urban area. I was, yeah, the hyphy movement, all that. Um, (laughs) You know, it's and really, for me, growing up, what what kind of uh, helped me learn English and make friends was my athletic ability. I was able to pick up a basketball, not a soccer ball, a basketball. Mm and uh make a ton of friends um through through um sports because I was pretty tall and then in football as well so I had friends growing up that were Samoan, African American, Filipino, uh Italian and um mm-hmm. just you know it's just so many vast um vast amount of folks that I grew up with in South City that 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 made that that journey so much more beautiful uh and yeah, so I got into youth development when I was about 16 because, I, like I said, I was into hip-hop, I was into the culture, and I was into graffiti. And uh, I got caught tagging on a, str- a stop sign when I was about, what was it, 14, 15, around there, going to 16? I don't remember. Um, but a police officer pulled me over, uh, well, pulled to the side and said, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just doing <laughs> art. Doing He's art. like, no, you're, you're, you're vandalizing. And I'm like, oh, man. And then he puts me in the back of a cop car. And I was like, man, I ain't got no documentation, I ain't got no green card, I ain't got nothing, I'm in trouble. And uh, instead of taking me to to the Juvie or to the City Hall, wherever he's going to take me, I don't even know. I mean, I think he was going to, you know, take me to my mom, but he, he didn't. He took me to the Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. And that's when my youth development practice started. Um, you know, the officer is somebody I... I admire for um, doing that. So for me, I have a different story of police and what compassion within police should be be like, and um, I believe it can be like that around the world um, because he shared grace. Mm-hmm. You know, he shared grace, and you know, I I, I volunteered at the Boys and Girls Club because he said, hey, you know, if I don't see you here in, in two weeks. I'm not only gonna take you in but and give you a citation, I'm also gonna tell your mom, and I know what Latinos mamas do. <laughs> <laughs> and, it was, and it was truth, you know? There's truth to that. And yeah, um, you know, I, I was given a whistle, started coaching when I was about that, you know, 15, 16. Coached my first championship basketball team when I was 16, and I've never taken off that whistle since. Uh, now I am the director of the Siena Youth Center of the St. Francis Center, a multi service nonprofit organization. We specialize in low-income housing, immigration services, food and clothing. We have our own school that serves a cohort of 29 students from K until eight. And we also have the amazing CNA Youth Center, which is a non-traditional learning space that provides poderismo, the power of mentorship uh, for the life of Latino youth through education, leadership, um, health and wellness, art and self-expression, and it's just beautiful to be able to share those 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 parts of of what we love so much through mentorship to our to our young folks in norfer oaks and right now we're serving about 140 youth every day we have about 12 staff members and we have about 40 volunteers and yeah it's a full-on program um it started with just myself and uh you know, um, I've been blessed with the ability to, to have the autonomy by Sister Christina, who is my executive director. She really trusts and believes in uh, in what, what, what it is that I have to share with the world. And um, it's not really mine, because at the end of the day, like, I've been given a gift by the Lord to be an instrument to the youth and to the families that I work with to play that sweet youth development music, the non-traditional mm-hmm. learning music. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed with education as well. I went to community college, um, had a hard time um, in high school because I wasn't put in the right classes. And from community college, I really met some more mentors, professors that really looked out for me, transferred to uh, State University, Cal State East Bay. That didn't really work out with me because I was working three jobs, and at the same time I was getting my documentation. Um, So that was hard, so I was working three jobs, let me just say that again, in college. Mm. Um, going to, you know, trying to do it. It just wasn't possible. So I went online school, um, Colorado State, and I got my undergrad in public management with a specialization in human resources. I got a liberal studies as well. uh, And I also got a minor in Spanish. And uh, last year when I met Tony, when I was in grad school, I finished grad school and I graduated from University of San Francisco with a a leadership degree, a leadership master's. So yeah, it's hard to talk about all that, but um, I, I just can't believe I've been through that journey. But it's been an uphill climb the whole way, and uh, it's a big mountain. But now it's kind of like, okay, let's share that. Let's share that struggle because it was a beautiful struggle.
0: So you're you've got this story of being an immigrant who was a hard worker, who recognized all the obstacles that were before, who had uh, familial disconnection. You know, you didn't see your mom. You don't know your dad.
2: <clears throat> yeah.
0: You have. But you have this, this success story on the other side, and now you're giving back to this very community that really, like right now, is the I, I'd say almost the centerpiece mm-hmm. of the American news right now. So can you shed some light because you you guys are the 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 most known people in our community. Uh, in Redwood City, you, if you Google these two's names with Siena Youth Center, you'll, you'll see, you know, um, hear our cry, rent's too high. Mm -hmm. They have been advocating for families that are losing their homes because rents are increasing in Redwood City. Now, you know, don't don't get me wrong, if you follow me, you know, I love Redwood City. I'm this huge proponent of the arts and the culture and the tech. But there's a dark side to that. There's a dark side to what's happening, and that's the thing I know nothing about that I feel so paralyzed with that I want you guys to speak into. The All the tech coming in here mm-hmm. is driving a different clientele, if you will, into the cities that's um, building apartments that nobody mm-hmm. can afford, and people are literally losing their homes and... Mm-hmm and potentially living on the street, but you guys are not standing for that. Mm-hmm. And then we have everything going on in the past month with uh, what's going on in the border with uh, families and um, families seeking asylum and kids being detained you know, in order to use the words, to use as a poker chip. I want you to talk about all that stuff and help our listeners understand maybe even start with how would you describe differences between the refugee what a refugee is and what an immigrant is and what's the kind of the myths and mis- misconceptions about the issues that are going on right now in in the news
1: so just to give context um, so the youth center where Rafael works and where we live um, is called the North Fair Oaks and it's uh, an unincorporated area in the city of Redwood City so um, it's run by county, so I guess it's looking at the differences. Um, with Redwood City, we have you know the mayor, and um, in North Fair Oaks, we are governed by by the county. So we have sheriffs and we have the board of supervisors that makes the decisions. Um, and in the North Fair Oaks, over seventy percent of the population are Latino. Um, a lot of them are immigrants, um, recent recently arrived immigrants, um, and um, i think yeah as as uh Tony you mentioned is one of the things that often gets um overlooked is that you know that community has been there for for generations um it's a lot of the the people refer to it as little Michoacán or little Mexico because there's a huge like immigration patterns and um a chain from uh, people coming from Michoacan, which is a southern state in, in Mexico, which I also am from, Michoacan. So, um, you know, in within the community, we say, oh, where are you from? You must be from Michoacan if you live here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you just drive through it, you see that, yeah, there's a lot of, like, taquerias and, you know, the Mexican bakeries and... Um, It's just a really friendly um, community, but the dark side is that because we're right in the middle of all these tech companies, um, you know, Facebook is our neighbor, and Mm -hmm. we have Box in the city, and we have Google a couple um, cities down, Um, what's happening is that those tech companies, um, unfortunately, are bringing in a new population, new population of workers, and... Um, international folks as well uh, people from everywhere and um, the owners of the the apartment buildings that many of these families live in are taking you know advantage of like well there's these new residents with this new income new economy and they are willing to pay this much rent so let's ev- evict everyone else and renovate the apartments mm-hmm. and you know have these new new um, new people move in because they can afford this new rent. While our people that have been living there for years, they have to, they get evicted, and they can no longer afford the new rent, um, and they have to move two, three hours away, um, and then a lot of them still come drive here to to work, mm-hmm. um, or they end up, you know, homeless or just trying to find uh, other places to live, and a lot of that is happening, and it's been happening, and that's when we started mobilizing because a lot of the youth and the families that were part of our community were coming to us asking for help or just the youth also felt moved and felt compelled that like these are our friends, these are my parents, like we're going through it together so let's mobilize. So we started marching and just bringing awareness to what was happening in this community Um, and also just facing gentrification. Like we are seeing the community change with the new people coming in but then also with um, people wanting to beautify the community, you know it's it's already beautiful. We just need to tap into like what's already there and like the history and preserve that, the culture and preserve the 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 history of there. And so one of the things that's actually that we're doing is um, we're having a, there's a mural that's being put on Middlefield, and it's an initiative led by the county. And this mural is going to show all this beautiful history from this community mm-hmm. and so that's a way that again like let's if we're going to have a new people come in let's have them recognize this culture and this history mm-hmm. that we have already in this community so that's a little bit about the community mm-hmm. um just to tap into that looking at the the differences between like refugee and immigrant um as you as you asked um it's interesting because I guess from like a legal perspective you know you would say like a refugee is someone that well, they were forced to leave. You know, they were um, being persecuted or there's um, conflict in their country, so they, in a way, are forced to to leave their countries. And then when you think about, like, an immigrant, an immigrant is a person that just moves from their country seeking for better opportunities, Mm -hmm. uh, work, education. And I think that's when the two get a little bit conflicted because, in my understanding, um, immigrants as well, they also in a way we were forced to leave their countries because when I think about like Latin American countries, a lot of these Latin American countries, they faced interventions from the U.S. that um, and, in a way forced them to, you know, have to move to the U.S. to seek better opportunities, education, work, work in particular. The U.S. has been intervening in, in Latin American countries for years and um, that we don't think about like the repl- the replications of that or the impact of that, and that's immigration. You know, if we're facing um, like political, social, economical issues because of other countries intervening in our in, in Latin American countries, and uh, that drives people to search for other opportunities. So that wasn't the case for me, for my family, which I can share later. Um, but one of my friends, actually, she spoke at the rally that Rafael spoke at as well. And she said she said that uh, very, very piece about let's not forget that the U.S. has intervened in a lot of these Latin American countries. And um, a lot of times, like Mexican families, for example, or any immigrant, we don't want to leave. The, they don't want to leave their countries. It's not like, oh, I just chose to leave my country. Mm-hmm. But it's because, like, you know, I can't um, get a decent job. Like, there's no equal wages. Like, there's just not enough um, opportunities for my family so a lot of times they just send the breadwinners over to the u.s for them to be able to you know support their families so it's not always like a simple choice so that's where i think the two mm-hmm. refugee and immigrants get like mixed mm-hmm. up mm-hmm.
0: just to comment on that when i was doing a lot of the street life ministry in uh, palo alto back in the day so if you want to uh, listeners if you want to look at streetlifeministries.com.org That was uh, a community of faith that we started on the street to help those who didn't have anywhere to live. We were just doing food and uh, recovery and life skills coaching and um, literally created worship gatherings or a church that met on the street. But I would meet so many Latino men Mm -hmm. who, in fact, we took one home uh, with us for a while uh, when Wendy and I didn't have any kids. And he would stay over every Tuesday night, uh, shower and get a good night's sleep. And his family lived in Mexico, Mm -hmm. and he would basically see them once a month. He would work for a month, go back, deliver whatever money he had, Mm -hmm. spend a few days. And this was, you know, for me, like, that was the first time I had heard of that. Mm -hmm. And then I kept meeting other men. Like, it was usually a lot of men would come here, sacrifice that family connection a bond to provide. And it was just... You feel so overwhelmed, like, Whoa, what could I do? Yeah. What was what it? How does this happen? This, there's so many broken systems here, and so I guess you know the wonder right now is um, it seems like there's a lot of pushback, you know, toward the immigrant, or a lot of division and hostility, even. And I think the sad the sad feeling I have is that I've felt some negativity toward and from people of faith when. My hope, I guess, is that the church would rise up and say, well, this is the call of God on our life, is that we find the sacred in the service of others and in the sacrifice of our land. Mm -hmm. We make room. We make room for the foreigner. We make Mm -hmm. room for the alien. We make room for the immigrant. We make room for those who don't have, but we're not seeing that. So Mm -hmm. what, what do you make of that, and what else can you kind of speak in to that for us as listeners like what what can we do how can we be thinking about this
2: ending you know democracy and uh, how it is that we need to be compassionate disruptors of what is incorrect with systems of inequality over pr- or oppression within our country I do not hate the United States let me let me say that again I do not hate the United States I disagree with leadership that is toxic within the mm-hmm. United States mm-hmm. Okay, and when we start understanding toxicity within the American government, we're going to start disrupting that toxicity and start being compassionate Mm -hmm. and filling it with grace. Mm. In order for us to do that, we need to really dig deep into our word, dig deep into a book or dig deep into a dialogue. Mm. If you are not doing either, you're not doing anything. Mm. You're just you're just basically, oh, well, it doesn't affect me. And you know, I have certain things I say about folks like that. I just try not to kick it with y'all, and I I do that because it it frustrates me. But at the end of the day, it's like talking to a a dead end. It really is, and I think that there's no space for that in our America. Mm -hmm. There's no space for that. There's only streams of opportunity where I come from. You see, there's uh, there's mountains that we climb. There's mountains. When I think about um, mountains, I, I'm a big mountain biker. Tony knows this. I climb mountains because it's it's a way for me. It's a metaphor of life for me. For me to 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 go up this hill and to know that I've accomplished this, because I put my head down. I have perseverance. I have passion, and I have prayer. And those things drive me. Those things drive me because I know that it they drive. Leaders like, like Jesus. They drive leaders like Paul. They drive leaders like Nehemiah to be pressed for seven years. Am I right? Seven years? Was it seven years? Which one? Nehemiah. He was pressed for seven years. Oh,
0: for the building of the wall?
2: Yeah. And, you know, he kept telling the, the, the king, I got to go. I got to go help these people. And he was pressed, you know. And if you're being pressed, you got to do something. And that's what I think about government, you know. it's People are like, don't mistake religion. With government. I'm not. I'm not really sticking in religion. Nah. I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about faith. Okay? Um, the church is somebody. It's, it's you within you. The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do something and you're not doing anything, what is your church? Come on home. <clears throat> what is your church? You know? And... I'm calling out the pastors, you know. I'm calling out the pastors to really step forward, mm-hmm. to 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 do something about what's happening with for uh, about immigrants like me. Mm. What are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for the people that I represent? I really need you to come to our community. I really need you to, to have some conversation. I really need you to bring the bread and be with us. I really need you to get sweaty and play some sports with our kids. Mm. I really need you to volunteer. I really need you to help us raise money for folks who are being displaced because of the governments that are in place that are not doing anything to write policy that translates to our people because our people are not at those tables. And I mean, I'm driven by what what, what Paulo Freire talks about so much. Without dialogue, there is no structure and it needs to be broken, right? And um, it really drives me to to be that compassionate disruptor. And once again, I'm going to say this. I, I don't think I said it. But Paulo Freire, if you don't know him, you should Google him and you should read his books. He's a Brazilian educator, um, compassionate disruptor, um, and he's a believer. He was a believer. And uh, his books were banned from Brazil because they were so far-fetched. He was too radical. I'm going to keep throwing that word so you all see it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, No, he was just speaking truth. And uh, he was pressed to say the truth. Um so for me, um I really I've I've done the, the whole um government thing. I was council member for three years and it was a hard, hard thing for me to do. Um but I learned the system and I learned that policy isn't written for people of color. Mm-hmm. Policy isn't written for folks who are oppressed because they were never around that table to help create yeah. policy. Yeah. So let's look at that mm-hmm. deeper and let's uh let's study that.
0: I was thinking you know what you just said about was not written for people of color. I'm listening to you talk, and I'm going. Well, there's going to be some people who are going to be hearing what you're saying and say, "Well, Raphael, and I, I feel the Holy Spirit nudging me to have people obey the law." Mm-hmm. And there are people who are breaking the law by sneaking into our country. There are people who are not getting documentation. There mm-hmm. are people who are stealing, you know, our Social Security or our um, government, you know, welfare that belongs to the people of America, and so their calling is to push against that. What do we do with that? And let me just say, I know this is true because I've had conversations with people. They're all white people. They're all people like me who are white who ha- don't have to face the um, mm-hmm. the oppression, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a fear that comes in this this uh, circumstance where we feel that something's being taken from us, that we're not going to have what we need, right? So we're not going to have our retirement provided for or our kids or our grandkids are going to be taken from by the people, those people who are coming from other countries to take it. So what do we do with that? How do we have those conversations with the white folk maybe who are afraid or are, um, holding on to these things, even by faith as well, believing that this is what God would do or this is what Jesus wants.
1: Um, well, I would say that first of all, we need, um, white allies. We need, um, you know, folks like, like Tony (laughs) and other folks that already know that they don't, they don't think that way to be able to gather other white allies and to really, um, yeah because a lot of times like they're not gonna listen to people of color. <laughs> they'll listen to someone that looks like them, right or that has the same experience as them. Let's keep it real so I think um starting off in that way and to educate ourselves, I think a lot of these thoughts of like, well, you know they're um, you know they're coming here illegally or like they're not following the laws or they're criminals like all oh, of those are like myths and misconceptions, and there's um there's so many of them out there, and uh, the media perpetuates what perpetuates that, and also what our current president he he always uses the same words right to try to um, stir that in um, the criminal criminality in immigrant immigration, and I think I just go back to like history, and I think that's what we all need to do is to really like look at what has been done in the past and um, programs that we've had. Um, for example, like the Bracero program, you know, um, in the late '30s, when um, we were, you know, going through, well, about to go to World War II, or in between World War One, World War Two, we needed labor laborers. So who did they go to? They went to the Mexicans and said, "Hey, you know, we have all this work for you. Come and come over here and work for us." And um, and as Mexicans, as they needed they needed this, this labor, they needed to help support their families. So they took that opportunity. But once they got here, they were facing discrimination. They were facing, their contracts were broken. They weren't, even the employers themselves weren't, weren't following the laws. They were taking advantage, exploiting the workers. So just learning about like this, the history, like, like the Bracero Program and many other programs that um, even our current president uses as a prime examples of what he wants to do like um, Operation Wetback, as he calls it, um, which was another um, program where basically, you know, once they had all the the Mexican workers, they got all the work, okay, now we don't need you anymore, so let's deport you, and so that's what they did, and they deported them, and so now he uses that as like, that's a great example of what I wanna do now, and we really need to look at that and see like, again, like the impact of that, and how um, it's not a good example, obviously, we had, that led to more for fa- family separation and just other negative, um, negatively impacted the, the country. And so I think one thing people can do um, if you're feeling stirred in that way of like, no, it's still illegal, or like nobody's gonna change my mind about this, is to again, be open-minded and to, um, read and, um, learn, learn your history and, um, talk to people that are going through those experiences. Again, like the, like I mentioned, like the storytelling and there's like so many different resources out as well out there to uh, just inform ourselves. And, um, even if you feel inclined to say like, no, like I'm still set in this way, just to like have one little piece of like, okay, fine. Like, let me listen to what you're really saying. Um, that could, could go a long way but I think having the relationships as well, talking to people um,
2: yeah I'm going to share Hard. a quote <laughs> if that's alright Tony this is a quote by uh, Martin Nealmeyer and it goes into how I would talk to a person and try to build a relationship if they were on that journey of trying to understand more first they came for the socialist and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. So, this is a German Lutheran pastor who wrote this, Martin Neumeyer. If there is no one to help us, when I mean us, immigrants, people who are being oppressed, um, you know, I think you all know what I mean now. If there's n- no allyship, there's no folks to come in to, to help us, just know that, of course, we won't be around anymore. But then there's going to be a new wave of folks who are going to be oppressed. And that could be you. Mm-hmm. And that's when it starts getting personal. When it starts coming to your family. When you start realizing, oh, your kids can't afford rent here. Mm-hmm. Oh, your kids have to move out. That's when, it, that's when it's getting personal. And that's probably for some of y'all. Where your kids are graduating college And they're like, they can't even afford to live in the Bay Area. So really, is the policy written for them? Were they at that table? So I think about those things. And you should too. And if it's wrong, we should stand up. If it's affecting your home, if it's affecting your living space, if your kids are still living with you and they're 32, just know that it's not their fault. Policy wasn't written for them. And you... You probably voted for some of that unconsciously. Let's just be critically conscious now.
0: (laughs) Compassionate disruptor. I love that. I just love the fact that those two words wouldn't be words that you'd link together. And so maybe you don't identify with being disruptive. Mm -hmm. But if you're a follower of Jesus or you call yourself a person of faith, that word compassion, definitely Mm -hmm needs to be a part of who we are and our character and how we respond to this conversation, how we respond to people who are different, how we respond to if we do have a person in our life in our community who is an immigrant or who's seeking asylum, that the way of Jesus would be to be compassionate even if they're even if they are you know which is a small percent in my mind if they are criminals uh you know and if they are even if they are a rapist let's just say that i mean that's a really strong thing to say but the child of a rapist is not the rapist and so to be able to you know look at that situation and say should how should we treat that child of a parent who is a criminal now that's a very small percent but we immediately go to those very small percent things because one time one person in administration or leadership mm-hmm. used that word and then we blanketed on all of them. Mm-hmm. So I think being able to step back and go, um, if we're going to use that 1% situation, we still need to be compassionate. But the whole, the, the, the 99, the majority of the other people are just, like they're, they're looking for work. They're looking for a better life for their family, for their kids. That's what America was that was the hope, right, for our land. And the reality is, it never was because it was always in some way ripped from someone mm-hmm. else. So, last things anything you guys can speak on to what's been going on um, with the, the movement about keeping families together?
1: You know, we've always had separation, family separation, because we have borders. So, as long as we have borders, we will always have family separation. So, You know, the border was created in 1848 due to the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which is what ended the U.S. and Mexico um, War. And um, after that, we know we've seen more and more family separation. My family was separated. Um, My immigrant story is my grandpa and my father were the first to come here. And their idea was never to bring the whole family. You know, they were just, like I said, um, called from um, different job opportunities. They needed their labor, so they came and worked and were able to send some money back for our family and um, but the separation killed us you know so or killed them because you know I was, I was my father um, meant met my mom through here so I was born here fortunately um, but the rest of my family you know they were all separated and so once they were able to make it um, Make have a better life here they realize well let's all be together like why are we separated we can send some money for so have you guys come over here and go to schools and you know get a better life but unfortunately a lot of my family members um, because they were undocumented they couldn't take, an, take um, advantage of like s- educational opportunities mm-hmm. because we didn't have um, acts in the 90s like the DACA we didn't have that yet so they ended up um, leaving, so they ended up going back, and a lot of them are back in Mexico now, they are all um, shop owners, they're English professors, because they came here and learned English, and now they're teaching English, and um, they, um, and then my father, three years ago, also self-deported, because again, um, there's just fear, you know, with, being undocumented, My father was undocumented, mm. and um, he just was tired of how he was being treated. He couldn't get a license to drive, just all these different things that are in place for him to feel like a criminal when he wasn't. You know, he was just working day to day to be able to put me through school. I mean, like I mentioned, i getting my doctorate, and that's all because of my dad's hard work. Mm. And he left three years ago, and now, um, you know, I'm trying my best to be able to work the policy and to be able to bring him legally, but it's hard. It's like not so simple. So that's another misconception that like, well, why can't you just go and, you know, get, do it the legal way. Mm. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, I've been trying and, um, you know, I, I have hope that it'll work out in the future, but again, my family's separated right now. My dad's over there. I have a brother that's over there. Um, two sisters and a brother that are here. So, family separation it looks like in many different ways right now we're seeing it you know in the borders where the kids are taken away um someone said on facebook it's not it's not um separation it's kidnapping you know Mm. but just to point that out, that it's, it's always, as long as we've had borders, we've always had family separation, and it looks like in different ways.
0: Raf, you talked about the poker chip um, mentality, and I'd love mm-hmm. you to speak to that because some people have said, well, America needs to draw the line, and they need to make an example of these families or of these people, you know, quote-unquote, and using their kids as a way to make a statement. But I love that you said, hey, families aren't poker chips. Say more about that.
2: Yeah, if you haven't checked out the speech, check it out. Um, I really prayed on that. The Lord gave me some amazing words, and Anna helped me out as well. And just being a poker chip and being a caged animal to get your vote um, in whatever you're trying to get in policy is not the way to treat people. It's just not right. Just put it this way, if you have a kid, if you have a family member and they are put in a the cage, they they are separated because of no cause with the zero tolerance policy, what would you do? How would you feel? And I I it just blows my mind that some people feel nothing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'm going to try to blow your mind so you feel something, you know? Um and I you know, it's really going into the next book I'm going to tell you how to read if you still want to learn more about, like, the power of radical kingship and fellowship and grace. "Bark Into the Choir by Dr. Uh, Father Gregory Boyle, I'm sorry. He talks about when the gospel connects with our heart and we find ourselves on the outskirts, those on the margins may wonder what we're, what we're doing there. They aren't accustomed to our presence in that space. Mm. In the end, though, the measure of our compassion with what Martin Luther King calls the last, the least, and the lost lies less in our service of those on the margins and more in our willingness to see ourselves in kingship with them. Receive that, people. Mm. Receive that. Because that 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 is what i receive when i speak every single i mean every other day i speak to my 65 year old irish mentor mm-hmm. he's he's a white man and he's like a father figure to me and he loves on me he cares for me he looks out for me he gives me wisdom he goes on hikes he plays basketball with me he goes on bike rides there's no blood in between us but there's all love between us mm-hmm. And that's 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 what Jesus wants, and that is what that that's why I'm so passionate about saying, you know what, go out there, and make friends that don't look like you, go on those walks that you normally take with your friends who you t- drink coffee with. Do that. Go on the strollers, uh, the stroller stroller jogs with with other people who are who who can learn from you, and you can learn from them. Share that. That's empathy, and I think that when we when, you know, we're about to have a daughter. Mm. I'm gonna grow up in that America. I know I am because I have that faith, and my daughter will see a new America because mm. it's 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 the America I I see. Mm. It's beautiful.
0: Well, anything else you want to add to this conversation? I think you've given us a lot mm-hmm. to uh, think about, a lot of resources, and I'll post it on the Holy Cannoli Facebook page too. But is there anything else pressing you left out or or fired up to say? Mm-hmm. Just keep doing
2: what you do, Tony. I think uh, um, just keep doing what you do because a lot of people need to hear um, the stories of people mm-hmm. who normally don't get these opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a platform to share that grace and that mentorship and that love to listen, love, and learn mm-hmm. uh, with folks. And I think that um, through this platform, um, it can really make a difference in our schools, communities, and societies.
1: I think what I would say is like if you live in Redwood City, or in the Bay Area that I think we're really fortunate. There's so many groups, like advocate groups, even here in Redwood City, there's an annual um, immigrant um, conference that is put on by the Sequoia High School youth and a couple of immigrant um, advocacy groups. And it's a great place to go like, if you just wanna go and learn like what's going on and how, could, how can I be an ally, how can I educate myself on these issues. So um, there's a lot going on in our city. We, had, we hosted the rally. The city hosted the rally, so it's a good place to be. And if you're not in places where there's nothing happening, I would say go online. There's a lot of resources online, and Tony will share some.
0: Uh, that's good. Uh, well, we're going to close episode six down, uh, but I want you guys, you listeners, by the way, my stepmother suggested we call our listeners the cannolios. What do you guys think about the cannolios? <laughs> we're looking for more suggestions, how we address you. Cause I usually say podcast addicts, strangers, friends, <laughs> but my wife said, let's find something different. So my stepmom says cannolios thoughts. Let me know next week on episode seven, we're going to talk about the church. And if you just heard their passion, Raphael started out the podcast by reading scripture mm-hmm. and reading a prophet's call to the people to and how we care for those in our world. And I love it. I think these two are prophetically speaking into the culture and as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, as members of the church at large, this is what the church is called to do. And next week I want to address what it means to be the church. I want to talk about the highs and lows as someone who spent 20 years as a vocational paid staff member of a church. But larger than that, I've been a part of the church for 25 years and I will continue to be a part of that. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) I will continue to be a part of that. People called out on a mission to, to love the world, the love that God has sacrificed his son for. Uh, I want to talk about that next week. So I invite you to share questions on the uh, Facebook page, Uh, I've gotten a couple different messages from listeners about their frustrations with the church, about their letdowns and hurts. And with permission, I'm going to be sharing those next week on Episode Mm -hmm. 7. So uh, join us then when we talk about the the church ramblings and why you shouldn't go to church. How about Mm -hmm. that? Tune in next week.